everyone. Welcome to the Musea podcast. My name is Michael Howard. I'm the founder of Musea. And this episode uh, features Kristen Sweeting. We had a conversation over on Musea Spaces, um, which is our uh, online community for uh, Musea. And so uh, we talked about uh, raising your rates, how to serve uh, hiring clients. Um, this was uh, an interactive discussion. Uh, so there's live Q and A. Um, we will be doing more of these in the future. And so if you would like to watch these live, um, ask questions live and kind of help direct, um, where the discussion goes, you can create an account at museaspaces.com. Uh, but we thought this would be a very helpful discussion and topic, um, around, around pricing, um, what it takes to move up to a higher price point, the benefits of charging more, uh, what do hiring clients look to um, for photographers, what are they expecting, what are they valuing, how is that different than um, clients that maybe want to pay uh, a lesser amount. Uh, so we cover a lot of topics, um, this is about an hour, uh, Kristen is um, a great wedding photographer. She helps mentor photographers. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram at Kristen Sweeting, and we'll put the link to that um, in the show notes. But um, but yeah, so thanks so much for listening, and I will hope to bring more of these to you soon. All right, enjoy our conversation. Kristen and I have known each other for a long time. I don't know, 14 years, I don't know how long, over a decade. But um, so it's been really cool kind of seeing your career arc from shooting, you know, you still shoot weddings, but you know, seeing you kind of getting into that and progressing and then, you know, getting into like mentoring and like your passion for just business and like helping others uh, helping other creatives, you know, kind of break through and break the mold of how we live our lives and how we structure our lives, um, have su successful businesses, but to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, that's sustainable is, has been really cool. And so I kind of see you as like a, you know, a really important voice that's definitely like emerging and in, in the industry, um, it's helping us all live better lives and make better decisions. <laughs> so, um, anyway, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for, thanks for all you do. It's like, I feel like you're, what you're doing is very important. So I uh, appreciate that. Thanks for what you do. I always felt yeah. that way about you as well. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so today this is going to be pretty casual. So as, as we have a conversation, um, if anybody has questions, obviously just throw questions in chat. If anybody wants to come on screen, then you guys are more than welcome, but you can also just leave questions. We'll be monitoring those. Hey, Melinda. Um, and yeah, we'll just go from there. Um, we are going to be talking about kind of moving up to a higher end clientele. If that's something that you're interested in, um, raising rates, serving clients, um, with more value, how to bring more value to their lives, and then just a lot of the benefits of doing this. Um, so there's like a million places that we could start. Um, this is my favorite topic, yeah. by the way. Okay. So, so the, yeah, so I, I feel like we're getting ready to have like a just a really amazing dinner or something. Um, it's like, where <laughs> do you want to? Which which thing do you want to start with? Um, and this is something that you work with people all the time. So I guess let's start with just the beginning of like when somebody decides like, okay, I need to make a change or I want to make a change. What, what are some things that they should kind of begin with or consider when making this switch? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I love having this conversation because I think one of the things that gets in a lot of in people's way when they're a photographer and they love what they do and they're charging for their art and they really want to create it is this, um, you think of like, Oh, working with high end clients is it's this 
big nebulous thing or if I'm charging more, I'm going to work with people I don't like. And I still don't really consider myself like a luxury business. I actually don't say that. I um, I don't buy high fashion things. I'm just not a super fancy person, but I do really like providing something unique for people and providing something that's going to um, really change them, like providing value that way. So I think even breaking the mold of what we think a high-end photography business has to be is the first thing because a lot of people just don't relate with that um, that phrase. And so it can be hard to start moving towards a goal that you're, you actually don't really want, you know? Um, yeah. So when you think of it as like, I like to think of it more of if you, if money was not a thing or when you think about your life and what kind of impression you want to make on people, just in like how you show up in the world, how you create art, like how could you do that to your best ability? Um, so an example for me, like all through my life, helping people feel really seen, helping people feel um, really understood or like someone really got them. I, I always was like, I never want someone to feel like, like someone passed them and didn't see them. Like, and this mm. is, this is a, a, a kind of a bit of a silly example. Like we were walking the other day to dinner and there was a guy standing on a bridge looking lonely. And I like almost stopped and wanted to be like, Hey, I see you. I hope you're good. You know, like I yeah. never want to even pass someone to have them feel like they maybe aren't seen or not, not supported. So when I started changing my pricing and my business structure, I was like, how can I see people the best? Um, and so some examples of what I do in my business is I'm like, I don't want someone to be constrained by time with the wedding photography. I don't want someone to be um, to feel like I walked in and didn't know the groom's name or the family member's names. Like I do my best work when I have a small amount of clients so I can learn every single family member's name every single bridesmaid and groomsman's name. Um, I can I can tell the story of their wedding in a way that feels so personal and so real to them. And when that's my motivation, instead of like, ooh, and they're wearing Gucci, you know, like when that's my motivation, then I'm like, mm -hmm. I actually do need to charge a lot in order to only work with, you know, five to 10 clients a year. I have to charge a lot for that. I have to charge a lot to be that emotionally present in someone's day. Um, and that is much more motivating to me than, um, than something that feels like fancy. That's just, that's just not me. So everyone's going to have their own thing that really resonates with them. And that's what I encourage people to do when I coach them through pricing is like, what's unique about you? What kind of value can you bring to people through your art? And how do we do that, you know, times a hundred? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love all this. Yeah, because I think I, I run into a lot of photographers. I've talked with a lot of photographers. Um, I mean, there's definitely some photographers that like love the fancy things and all that. And so that's like really? what gets them excited and they're all about all that stuff, which is great. Um, and then I run into a lot of photographers that are just very caring, kind souls. And they sometimes struggle with charging and enough or charging more because they feel like um, I'm sure there's a lot of things but some of it is like they don't want to be inaccessible to everyone and so they feel like they're going to be excluding people and they want to be all inclusive all the time um, and so there, there's just there's things like that but they maybe you know they're sacrificing some of that personal touch with stuff with you know their clients if they're doing too many like high volume um and then they lean to they burn out and so there's just kind of this internal struggle of like a you know they probably need to work with fewer clients but the math of getting up there and like the fear of somebody actually paying that and like you know do they feel like they're worth it or do they feel like their product's worth it and like all the there's just a lot of things that get bounced around and it it's a struggle, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, but I, th I think what you're explaining is a beautiful perspective of like another way to, you know, charge appropriately 
but not it doesn't have to be centered around this concept of like mercedes and gucci's and like fancy dresses and fancy clothes and yada 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 um the the math still might work out (laughs) like you know the price point uh but there's yeah different motivations so i think that's super important point to make so that's great yeah and i mean and if there's again i'm not trying to make anything there's nothing bad with liking fancy things either but i think when you find the thing that's really motivating to you um it's more encouraging and i can definitely talk about like the accessibility piece um you know i think just in general photography and weddings are a thing that aren't accessible to everyone that is that is just kind of part of it but i do like to think like okay if generosity is something really important to your business if accessibility is something really important to your business how can you build in that component in a way that doesn't take away from you being able to charge what you need to charge to deliver your best product or service. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about that. Um, You know, it could be an event once a year that is at a more accessible price point. It can be, um, you know, you offer one discounted session a year and maybe it goes towards a cause that you really care about. There's so many ways to get creative in that. And so when people bring that to me and they're like, well, I don't want to like exclude people. I'm like, cool, let's, not keep that as a way for you to not also take care of your family and your mental health and your emotional health and do your best work. Let's build it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. So Melinda had a question. Do you, do you really keep it around 10 clients a year? I want to limit the amount of clients I serve and struggling how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Melinda, thanks for that question. Um, I do, I do really cap it at a certain number. Um, this year, I actually capped it at six. That might change. I did start telling people no after I booked six um, and had to adjust my prices to make that happen, um, had to also build another income stream to make that happen. But um, but yeah, I, I have capped it at 15 some years, 10 some years. Um, and I mean, pricing appropriately is really the best way to do that. And then the other way, if you tend to be someone who um, has a hard time saying no, like me, um, I go through my calendar and I block in personal things that I really want to do beforehand, because it's very easy for me to be like, oh, there's a blank spot on that Saturday. Sure. I'll fill that with work when maybe I don't actually need it. Um, So I go through and I'm like, I want to take my son on a camping trip. I want to go see my mom. Like I'll block off my personal time first. Um, because otherwise for me, it's very easy to fill that time with work um, instead of like really planning intentionally. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Which side of it do you tend to struggle with the pricing side or the saying no side? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kate Thompson asked, did you, in your journey and reaching your current market, you go little by little or you just do one big jump? Yes. And um, I, I guess I did little bit by little, but there were some pretty big jumps in there. Um, I really get nerdy about pricing psychology. And um, mm. there, I've seen photographer raising their wedding prices by 200 or 400 or something like that. And that's great. I don't think you have to do pricing jumps that small. Um, they're in people's minds. There's kind of the, these different plateaus. So I would say anything under, and this is, you know, where we are in this time and it is always changing, but like 3,500 and under is kind of one zone. And then the next uh, tier is maybe 5,000. And then the next tier from 5,000 is 10,000. So it's interesting because we think like, Oh, we need to do 5,000 and then 5,500 and then 6,500. And you don't actually have to. So I think my, what my jumps were, were somewhere around 5,000. I got really cozy in that area for a while and then jumped to 75 and then just starting at 10. And so now when I make jumps, it's bigger jumps. Um, but it just, it psychologically, 4,000 rounds up in people's heads to 5,000 anyway. So you don't really have to like bounce up all those, those increments, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but also there's other things too. And we can, we'll talk about this too, but it's not just like changing the price and being like, woo, now we're good. Now it's all going to work. Like you kind of have to go underneath that and be like, is, um, is my sales process lining up with my new price? Is my portfolio leaning, lining up with my new price? Is my, um, client experience lining up with my new price? And, um, you know, there's so much education out there available now that I find a lot of people are doing all these things. They're running a high end business and they're not charging for it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, being able to check and be like, am I already doing the things of a $10,000 wedding photographer? and I'm just not charging for it. Like, why not? And then looking at that and looking at like, is it just because I'm afraid of that number? Is it because I'm afraid of asking for that? You know, like there, there's such a personal element to this. Um, but, you know, strategically, I would say the biggest thing that helps when you raise your prices is changing your, um, is changing your sales strategy. Yeah. Um, I see some questions coming in too. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll bounce in between. I'll have some questions too, but yeah, you can answer me okay. these two here and then we'll kind of dig into some more stuff. Um, but she asked, uh, Kate asks, do you guys have pricing on your website? After you make the big jump, what uh, what adjustments did you have to make? We'll probably talk about that second question here in a second. Pricing on the mm-hmm. website, yes, no? Um, I'm, a, I'm a general no for that um, mm-hmm. because I think the sales strategy is so important. And you um, you cut off the conversation really early when you, when you do that. Um, Because the whole point of your sales strategy is to show them and not just tell them why you're valuable. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to have that conversation if you um, if you just put your prices right on the website. Yeah. Uh, Brooke asked, you do portrait sessions, mostly weddings, mostly weddings. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, Brooke, I do portrait sessions, but I wouldn't say I have them. I don't have like my portrait session pricing nailed in because really I just do them for my wedding clients. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. would say I'm mostly weddings. Yep. But I think some of the, a lot of the general structure of what you teach and talk about is it's very applicable to totally portrait photographers. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So let's get into some of the stuff that we're touching on that, you know, Kate's kind of naturally also interested in with, um, sales strategy. Um, so let's get into some just nitty gritty. So somebody's like, I want to do this. Just what are some things they need to do right off the bat? Um, and that, I know there's probably 30 things, but what are some key like, things that they need to, to do? Yeah. Which one to start with? Okay. Actually, this might be a good time to share my screen thing that I brought. Um, well, yeah. I'll, so the, the biggest thing for me is having... Um, having something like knowing what the value is that you're bringing. And this isn't just like, I'm a really experienced wedding photographer, or I'm a really experienced portrait photographer. It's being like, what is your client? What transformation is your client going to go through working with you? Or what are you um, providing that is going to help your client through the time you're working together? And a lot of times it's other things besides the actual photography. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. you you know, know what you're doing and should have great work, but like, are you reducing their stress? Are, um, are you taking care of each step of the way? How's your communication? Um, how do they feel after working with you? For some people, um, you know, for some people it's, um, do you, are you getting their wedding out there or is it kind of more, um, you know, they, they get to say they worked with a certain person. There's like all these different motivators for people, for people. So like, if you know that you really want to work with influencers, they might be really excited to work with you. If you're always getting your work published, if you really want to work with people who value family, they might be really excited to work with you. If you understand their family and you take time to also meet with their mom or, you know, you have these other things built in. So it's like, knowing what you are doing and then taking that to the next step of like, how is that value translating to the clients you're working with? Um, and I have this, this is like something I point to all the time. It's, can y'all see this? The elements yeah. of value. Pyramid? Yes. Yep. 
Okay. Ooh. Now it just hid from me. I see yeah, it. still see that? Yeah. Okay. So this thing I pull up all the time because um, the more of these you can hit on in something that you're selling or something that you're doing, like something that you're making, you can Google this. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you Google the ele elements of value pyramid. Um, the source is Bain and Company, Inc., 2015. Um, and it and it shows you all the different things that add to something being valuable. So, um, you know, I've heard the example with Apple of like, Apple is selling an iPhone. Somehow they've become a part of the market that like, it's normal for everyone to be carrying around a thousand dollar plus device. Like who would have thought back in the nineties that that would be a thing now, you know, like what, how did they, how did they convince us all that that is so valuable that we need it? But when you think about it and you look at all these different elements of value, so on the functional side, you have like saves time, makes money, reduce risk, um, reduces cost, quality, variety, sensory appeal. On the next level, you have emotional, which is reduces anxiety, design and aesthetics, provides access, therapeutic value, fun and entertainment. And then the next um, section up is provides hope, self-actualization, affiliation and belonging, motivation, heirloom. And then the top one is self-transcendence. Um, so it kind of mirrors like Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit. And so in your business, we a lot of us maybe are hitting on a bunch of the ones in the functional category. But, um, you know, photography just by itself is already an heirloom and is providing hope. So remembering that the value of what you're bringing is already life changing and then adding in as many of these other elements as you can to your product. And then I would say like picking one that is the one you're going to communicate because in a sales, in a sales strategy, you don't want to be like, and I'm great at this and I'm great at this and I'm great at these 20 things. Like it just overwhelms people. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can pick one thing that you do really well, and that's kind of the thing that you communicate the most strongly, um, then it leaves people with a really like this person excels at this. Um, and can help them help them make a decision more clearly. Um, and that goes like all through your website, your your Instagram posts, like everything you do, you're going to be attracting and repelling poten potential clients. And so if you're talking a lot about family, the people that really value that are going to find you and the people that don't want that are going to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That was a little bit long of a tangent to explain that. No, that's good. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think starting with value, understanding what value you bring to the market is like key to mm -hmm. tell your story and communicate what you're doing. Um, and so that people, when they, they're booking you, they know the, the journey that they're going to go through, you know, the experience mm -hmm. and, and why they're, they're hiring you. Um, so let's say, Let's, let's talk a little bit about some practical things of like, you know, you're at these, this higher, you see kind of these three tiers, your price at this higher price point. What, what, what do you, what is kind of your ideal sales flow strategy that a client would go through? Like I'm assuming they find you through word of mouth, through Instagram, Google, something like that. What happens mm -hmm. after that? Totally. Yeah. So, um, I teach a couple different ways. I think it does depend on your pricing. So there's kind of three different sales strategies. There's um, there's the automated one. So it's just like you're making it as easy as people, as easy as possible for people to pay you. Um, if you're doing mini sessions, this is a great thing to do. If you know that you're in a more budget price tier, this is a great thing to do. If you're moving up, I would say move into sales calls. And then the third one is proposals. And I actually don't think some people might not agree with me on this, but I feel like proposals are best if you're if you're consistently booking like high, high price tier, you know, 15,000, 20,000 and above. I think proposals are um, helpful then. But I think sales calls are really, really powerful if you're um, in that, you know, mid market to high end in the middle there. And um, so. You know, a sales call would be, I love texting people when they inquire and just being like, hey, um, you know, I'm so glad that you reached out, would love to set up a phone call with you or a Zoom call with you. 
Um, and then you can be like emailing or texting. I mean, really, it it depends on you too. So some of these are my suggestions that works for me, but make sure it fits with your own workflow and your values and the clients that you're working with. But I do move to a Zoom call. I love, I always try to meet both people at the same time. Um, and really what I want people at the end of that time to come away feeling is that like, I understood what they want from their wedding. Or, you know, I also do sales calls with my coaching. So it's like, what do they want from their, from their time working with me? Um, so a lot of like connecting with them, understanding them, I take a ton of notes. Um, and then kind of at some point you'll have a transition time. And this can be the most awkward times. You're like, great, that felt really natural when I was asking you about you. That like feels like what a photographer does. And then at some point you're like, all right, but let me tell you what I do. And this is where you kind of flip the conversation and you go into here's what I do. And I would say figure out that one thing that's easy for you to sell that is different about what you do and start with that. So, you know, explain how you work. And really harp on that one thing that you've decided makes you different. Um, and then and then at the end of the time, like ask if they want questions at the end of the time. Um, you know, ask if they want to, you know, what they want to do next. If they want to book you, if they want to um, think about it, that kind of thing. So I always try to get people to have an action call at the end. Um, but make sure people get enough information in that time. Um, and I also start them off on like, if this doesn't work for you, like I will help you find someone else. Like that, I really want people to feel taken care of. So if it doesn't work with me, I'm going to help them find someone else. Um, so yeah, I think designing a sales strategy is so personal. That's kind of a, a template of how um, I usually recommend people do them. But that one element of what makes you different, how do you want people to feel at the end of it is so important. And then the showing people showing people how um, how you're valuable instead of telling them is really important too. So an example of that, like when I first started hearing me like, show your value, tell people your value, make sure people know why you're valuable. I was like, I don't know what that means. That just feels like bragging on myself. And that feels so mm -hmm. um, like inauthentic to my, to how I work. And I realized what it is, is showing people in that time with them that you really care about them or that you really understand them. Um, and so you do that by what questions you ask. You do that by giving them the time to help them make the right decision for them, even if that's not you. So, um, you know, you do that by taking good notes and learning about their families and understanding the dynamics that you're going to be documenting. So I get very personal in mine, again, because the business that I'm running is so personal. Like I want to understand their family. I want to understand their relationship. And anytime I can kind of like direct them back to each other is so important. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, that's like the practical, the practical bones of it. But like each person will have to fill it in with their own things that they really want for their, their time mm -hmm. with their potential clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, for me, it's a good general. I mean, I think it seems like the more, um, more you go up in price, not always true, but I think in general, you tend to have more phone conversations and personal communication with them. Um, and less like just email or less like discussing very important things over text or things like that, where it can be, you're not hearing voice inflection, like, you know, you're, when you're sharing a number or a price point, you know, you've gone through this other stuff in a more personal way. Uh, you understand kind of their motivations and their pain points or what, who they are. <clears throat> and so when you're, you're throwing out numbers, it's just, it's more intimate, more personal. It's not as, mm -hmm. it seems probably not as crazy where if you're just shitting over like this, that's 12 grand, let me know. Like it just, the chance of closing that or looking at just a lot lower. A lot yeah. more sticker sticker shock, I would say. Well, you're asking like what a big difference is in moving up in price. And I would say mm -hmm. trust becomes so much more important, like yeah. trust and reducing stress. Mm -hmm. And I think about it all the time when I hire different people, like we have a contractor doing something right now. And I'm like, trusting someone is so important that like I would pay twice as much for someone I trust. So, you know, asking yourself, how can I really show people in the time that I'm communicating with them 
that like I have their back is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Brooke asked, can you explain proposal? I'm assuming that's just like a unique quote that's very custom to them where you don't have like a pre-described price point. You kind of hear what they need and then you write up something custom for them. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's several, there's lots of different ways that you can do a proposal as well. A lot of times like a wedding planner might be like, hey, can you send over a proposal for this? And that's mm-hmm. kind of, I make a pretty PDF and it has the things that they want in it. And I send over the proposal. Um, it's that I think only really works if you're getting um, consistent referrals straight from a wedding planner. Um, if you're, if you're not, I feel like it, you know, having that personal sales process is really important. And if you like drawing up a proposal and walking people through that on the call, that's great too. Um, but that's, it's kind of being like, okay, you want this many hours, you want this, you want this, and it's making, um, you know, a package for them specifically. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Um, man, there's so much stuff we can get into. Um, a lot of, one of the big questions I get is like, how do photographers find people that want to pay or willing to pay more? Like, I don't know if you have any like marketing tips or things that are very practical, like where do I find these people? Cause I would love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Um, I, a great place to start is, you know, a, a gatekeeper is kind of what I think of them as like, where are people going first? to then book a wedding photography or if you're a portrait photographer, like where are people going first or where are they hanging out? So, you know, photographers have a great, a, um, a great gatekeeper or gatekeepers, which is like the venues and wedding planners. A lot of times they're starting there. So making connections with people who are also working with your clients is going to be really awesome. Or maybe you had one client a while ago that was, you know, exactly what you like, exactly. Oh, this is my ideal client, like connect with them more and, you know, be like, if you have any friends, I would love to work with your friends. So, you know, having that referral strategy and connecting with the people that are, are meeting your ideal client first is one really practical way to do it. And so many people, I think we're so reliant on Instagram these days that people forget about some older school ways of marketing of like showing up at venues and meeting the venue coordinator or bringing pictures or albums or being like, what do you need? Like, what, how can I help you? And going into networking relationships with the place of serving people, um, that can be a really natural way to start and can um, be really helpful. I mean, also, you know, blogs, magazines, those things can be helpful too. I would say that's more street cred than necessarily like I put this in and get this out. You know, um, I think that I think your connections are your best friend as you move up in pricing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, going totally into them in a way of serving. Right. Yeah. Helping people. Um, yeah. How do we how do photographers get past the fear of charging more? Yeah. Um, do you want to hear some of my weird things that I do to get past yes. some of my own fears? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the one of the trickiest things is just normalizing certain numbers and um, like numbers that will feel really big to us when um, when we haven't encountered them a lot. Even even just like hearing a number more often is going to make something feel more normal. And mm-hmm. um, so one thing that I've done is I've I like I'll get different quotes on things for my house or I'll go into places that things charge a different amount. I don't know. Like I'm, one that I really remember, I was living in this house in Nashville and our deck was kind of falling apart. We had this guy come out and he was like not about it. He was rude to us. He um, just like kind of looked at the deck and was like, that'll be ten thousand dollars. And this is the, the point in my life where I was really, really, really wanting to book a $10,000 wedding. That seems like a huge number to me. I didn't know how I would ever charge that. Um, and that was one data point of I was like, this guy can charge $10,000 for 
for this deck that he doesn't care a F about, you know, like, like my work is so much more valuable than that. Or um, I started just writing 10,000 everywhere. I started trying to see it more often and be like, I'm a $10,000 photographer. I know it sounds kind of hokey, but mm-hmm. like, it was just a like reprogramming it in my own head to be like, this is not a big amount of money. This is a normal amount of money for the work that I'm creating, which is really valuable. And then finding things where I was like, if they can charge that, I can definitely charge that was super helpful um, for me. Yeah, people spend a lot of money on random stuff that you're like, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And then it kind of can help normalize. So you see people actually spend money on, you're like, yeah, that's that's gonna be gone in five, 10 years, you know, but what we're creating is like something that's gonna last a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, other things that also have been helpful is like doing my own numbers, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, realistically, I energetically can shoot 10 weddings a year. How much does it cost to live in this world, which is getting more expensive by the day? Okay, cool. I actually have to charge that, you know, so like doing my own numbers helps build that confidence too. of this is not just a made up number. This is a number that I'm tying to the value that I'm creating and to the life that I need to be living to provide for people right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's helped me too, is like doing those numbers and looking at an overall wedding budget too. You know, Um, I think we get afraid to ask people questions. Like you can ask people's wedding budgets. You can also ask people that you work with, like what what are wedding budgets that you're seeing coming through that you're working with? And I think when you realize, oh, the the band that they hired was thirty thousand, and I charged two thousand, you start realizing that like you have to make some adjustments to kind of be in the same in the same zone. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and that like expenses like that is completely a temporary experience expense. Like you know, they pay a lot flowers, things like that for weddings. It it's gone like. It's like mm-hmm. for that day, basically, you know, where the photography is like the only thing that's going to last. They're going to look at that for hundred years or whatever, you know? So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we, yeah, get in our own heads. I think all that's great. We, we tell ourselves different stories and talk ourselves down um, often, totally. but yeah, seeing where the value is amazing. Uh, and the math is hundred percent correct. Like once you do the math and raw numbers, Math does not lie. The math is the math. And so you realize like, if I'm going to make 75 K a year, I'm doing this many shoots. This is my cost of goods. Like I have to be, I have to charge this. Like I cannot be below this line. Just the math. It does not work, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you just have to put it there and then then figure out and find the clients that will pay that, pay that number. Um, And people wanting to shoot film too, you know, like yes, when we're shooting film, it's so expensive and um, you you have to adjust your pricing to make up for that. Don't be like, oh, well, the film is just something I like to shoot, so I'm going to eat that cost. I'm like, no, it's expensive, and you're you're delivering something valuable. So, you know, let your prices reflect the added value, the added quality that you're providing. Something you're really great at it, um, that you break the mold on. <clears throat> It's figuring out what kind of life you want to live and shaping your business to meet, meet that end or that goal. So one of the things I would love for you to talk about is um, what are the benefits of charging more, working with fewer clients in terms of like your personal life? How has that changed things for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I started doing a lot of this out of necessity because like, I got an autoimmune disease and I worked myself sick in a lot of ways or for a while I was single parenting and, and, you know, I, I had certain things that were really important to me where I was like, I want to be healthy. I want to um, be really present as a mom. Like I have, I always wanted to be a mom and I had this idea of how I wanted to do it. Um, and so like starting with the things that are really important and then a lot of the, the pricing just supports that life, which, um, which is also a motivator for char- charging more. Cause I'm like, okay, I only want to work three days a week or I have small kids or I really like hiking or I really have these other things that I'm passionate about. I want my work to support me as a person. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it 
charging more and having more space in your life creates more time for creativity, more time for travel, um, more time for the people in your life that are really important. Um, I create better work this way. I think most of us do of like, I have the time to learn everyone's name. I have the time to, um, to really invest in each couple that I'm working with. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's a ton of benefits personally and professionally um, to creating that space and, and like doing the things that inspire you too. I think it's so easy to get stuck in our like, I'm, you know, I'm a photographer, I'm shooting shoots all the time, or I'm doing weddings every weekend. And the thing that we got into it for, which is helping people understand how beautiful their lives are, all of a sudden, we've forgotten how to live our own beautiful life. And it's a little bit like, um, we're, we're not seeing it clearly in our own life, what we're, what we're doing so beautifully for other people. Mm-hmm. So um, I yep. think both sides of that is really important. And when we're living a really fulfilled life, it also creates um, more beautiful work for our clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, like as a practical thing, like, I don't know, it was last year, year, year before, but like you took like an entire month off. Yeah. Like you're like, I'm, I'm not working in July, no emails, yeah. shut it down. I'm going to travel. Um. What, what did that break do, do for you personally and professionally? Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, it was hard. Again, I already said I like tend to be yeah. a workaholic. I love working. Um, but I, but personally it taught me how to, uh, or professionally it taught me how to have really good boundaries and communicate them. A lot of, I think a lot of the challenges we run into are just not communicating things well enough and setting expectations well enough mm-hmm. in the beginning. So months leading up, I was like taking July off. I will not be responding to emails. My assistant will not be responding to emails. We are off with our families and just having a sabbatical. Um, I like felt like that was really important for my whole team after 2020 and 2021, like everyone, I could see the burnout in everyone's eyes. I could see how like heavy that year had been. Um, and, and I think we also, it's easy for us to be like, oh, I'm not working. I've created all this space in my business. I shoot one wedding a month or whatever it is. And then we're on Instagram 24 seven. This is me. We're like on Instagram 24 seven, or we're checking email constantly. We never actually give ourselves a break. Um, we are working somehow constantly and it's so easy to fall into that um and hard to set the boundaries for that so i think that month for me just showed me like my business didn't fall apart the world didn't fall apart actually people really respected that i gave them space um and it helped other people feel the freedom to do that for themselves too um so i i've become much better about we do a four-day work week we shut off we put the vacation mode on Friday through the weekend. Um, I some of it, and some of it is just I keep learning. Like it's very easy for me to email my assistant, being like, "Don't check this till Monday." And I'm like, "No, that's me violating her boundaries and my own boundaries." So um, I do think it is really good for you and for your clients when you have strong boundaries. You take time off and you communicate that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I mean, the charging more allows you to bring in enough money to create that space so mm-hmm. that you feel like your life, you can breathe a little bit, not feel as overwhelmed, not have as much anxiety, yeah. um, slow down, <laughs> cook a meal, like, yeah. you know, just all of that. Like it just cycles through healthier practices versus, having to feel like you're just busy, busy, busy. And I think it's easy to get addicted to the busyness. Um, 100%. And not, and not stepping back and realizing how much anxiety we have. I mean, I, I something, you know, I can struggle with a lot too. <clears throat> it's like, I always need to be working, building the company. Um, and sometimes it can get bad where you feel guilty of like, okay, I'm going to take a day off. And then you feel bad for doing it. And then I realized like, I'm not in a healthy mental space that I, if I feel guilty for doing that, I'm like, okay, that's not good. Like I really need to unplug for a couple of days. 
to like reset, you know, slow down. Cause you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Like not the world is not going to fall apart. People will be there in two days. It'll be all right. So yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think it also helps me totally reset the, um, the order. Again, I'm come back to that pyramid kind yeah. of model helped me reset the order of things in my life. Um, so instead of work being the biggest foundational piece, you know, some of these routines that help me be a healthy person, like going on a walk every day or connecting with someone I love every day, like some of those became more foundational and the business got to be something I did out of a place of love and connection and groundedness instead of out of a place of this is everything for me and I need it to work. Like that never feels good for anybody. So even just that break, let me kind of reorder those things. Um, and I was also going to say we work with a lot of people who are raising their prices and there's something that happens when you start doing it and you start creating the space of where you kind of have a mini panic attack because you're, you've become, we've become so used to our calendars being so full. We don't really know what to do with the open space. Um, and we kind of freak out for a second. And so I just wanted to say that in case you start trying to do this and start freaking out, like that's a very natural, normal thing to happen. And then kind of dreaming about like, what are the ways you want to use your creativity in your personal life, for your own health, for your family, and letting yourself, you know, reorganize the things that are important in your life instead of your business being that main foundational thing. Um, mm. So I'm just going to add that into there actually is like some anxiety and panic that comes from doing all of this at the beginning and then it settles. Right. Logistically, I think there's some people, a lot of people that would, that want to charge more. They want to serve clients that are willing to pay more. Um, but they don't know how to go from like A to B because, you know, if there is a dip, you know, they've got themselves where there's, if there's a dip financially, they get, they're in trouble just from like a, re a realistic point of view with the numbers. Um, how, how do you, what are some ways that people can kind of transition? Um, you know, do you do it slowly? Do you do it quickly? Do you need to find like a second, another income stream so that you can bridge that gap? Like what, what are some things that you suggest? Yeah. I mean, again, this is, pretty personal to um, your own risk tolerance. So some people are running a photography business with a full-time job and you have a lot more risk tolerance to make a big pricing jump. Um, I am a pretty anxious person and especially when I was, you know, single parenting and I've been the breadwinner most of my life, I was like, I needed that second income stream to feel good about certain pricing pricing things. So I'm, I'm always a fan of helping photographers um, have another income stream too, of just like options. But then I think that, you know, the reminder is, especially if you're not having your prices on your website, you're getting to see what inquiries come in and you're getting to work through your pricing call and just giving you the freedom to be like, if you need money, if you are in a place where you're really stressed and you need that booking, you can negotiate. It is okay. You know, or you can like, test your new pricing for a while, like give yourself a time, a time zone. You're like, okay, I'm pretty well booked for this year. Um, I feel safe enough to test my new pricing for a month. If after that I haven't booked and I'm starting to feel tight financially, maybe I'll throw something in, like throw an engagement session in or do something to negotiate, to help make more, get more bookings. Um, I think some people just forget that you can do that. And I'm like, you gotta, you have to take care of your, of your family and your personal life first. That's the most important. You can, you can kind of like ebb and flow with what works for you. But I do think like, look at your numbers, give yourself a time to test things and realize that like, if something's not working, there's so many different things besides just the price that you can adjust that might be affecting you not booking. So I do think that that's that's one thing that people run into a lot is they're like, it's because this price is higher. And a lot of times it's not, it's because we need to get better at sales calls or, um, our, we don't have a, enough links on our website for people to contact us or people aren't seeing our work, you know, um, our messaging is not clear enough. So 
all of that is to say, like, kind of make a list of bullet points to check and test when you start trying it um, and check a bunch of different things before you immediately go to lowering your price back down again. Mm-hmm. Um, got about like 10 minutes or so. So I don't know if, if anybody has questions, just like start throwing them into the, the chat. Um, otherwise I'll keep asking Kristen a bunch of questions. So, um, let's see. Uh, I think we've talked about this some, but something that I've just been thinking a lot about lately is, um, what, what do kind of hiring clients expect from photographers? in terms of like maybe the value they they re- the value they actually want out of it, you know, cause if somebody's going to pay, you know, you, you can find a million shoot burners for under $500, but if somebody wants, you know, for a family session or something, but if somebody's willing to pay five to $10,000 for a family session, what are maybe some value things or expectations that the clients are wanting to have met for something like that? Yeah, I I do think trust, reducing stress, communication, um, communication, and like holding your hand through, like holding your hand through things more. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when when someone's paying a lot of money for something, I don't think they necessarily want a lot of automated systems. They want more personal touch, more, um, hey, here's the thing that we're going to do next. You kind of like... Del, I mean, you parse out the information as they need it instead of being like, here's my book of a welcome packet, you know? So I think mm-hmm. like thinking through the whole client experience and how can you bring someone along with you instead of creating a lot of homework for them to do, I say would be like one big thing um, is like taking that stress off of people's plates and just making it really easy for them. Um, yeah. So I mean, one simple thing is like, and people, people disagree with me on this sometimes, but I'm like, make it really easy for people to pay you. Like let them pay with a credit card. Let it make it really easy. Don't make them jump through a bunch of hoops to work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, and there's steps all along the journey, you know, portrait photographers I know that are charging a, a lot have, you know, wardrobe and they've thought through all the things that might be pain points to their clients. And they've, put something there that's going to help them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of our clients that are just killing it and like anywhere from newborn to family stuff they they, they've done a lot of that pain points where they, they have the wardrobe. So like the mother doesn't have to even go shopping to pick out a dress. Like they bring hair and makeup to the studio. So the person does not have to go get their hair or makeup done somewhere else. Like that's done the day of, um, you know, they're, they're helping with the frames and everything like that. So like, they don't have to go to a frame shop to like, you know, so you're just taking all of this stuff off of their plate and just guiding them mm-hmm. through like that hand holding experience. Um, you know, it's kind of like, let me do this for you, take you through this journey. And it's going to be an easy, pleasant, personal experience for you that yeah and you build all that trust along the way so um exactly and just remembering that all of that takes time so you do have to charge enough and take less clients in order to do that or hire someone to help you with it so that all kind of feeds back into like that all yeah all the things need to work together Right. Or you have to charge more because you're hiring somebody to help you. So then you got to pay their salary. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, exactly. Um, okay. So Kate asks, when you make a price jump, how do you handle relationships with past planners who may not work with more high-end clients? Do you contact them to let them know pricing is changing? Yeah. I mean, I I think it depends on the relationship. If it's someone that you're friends with, I think... I think that relationships like that can be amazing to where you pull each other up together. We'd be like, oh, I'm I'm raising my prices. You should definitely raise your prices too. Um, or, you know, just encouraging people to grow with you. Um, if it doesn't feel like that kind of relationship, that might be like, hey, here's my updated pricing. Would love to work with you. Um, so I, I never jump to conclusions that like, oh, we won't be able to work together anymore. I just you know, share the new information. And um, like, I still 
I don't write people off if we're not working with the same clients anymore. I still want the best for them too. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think like if it's someone where they're sending you stuff all the time, maybe let them know your pricing change or grab coffee and just be like, Hey, I'm making some changes in my business. You know, you want to chat about it, that kind of thing. Just encourage each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Melinda asks any resources have helped you in your business or life that you would recommend in relation to this topic. So yeah, any resources you can point people to? Yeah. Um, let me think. I mean, two books that I really loved were um, The Virgin Way by Richard Branson, because he talks a lot about client experience. And I connected mm-hmm. with some of his businesses because he has a high quality business that's not stuffy. I was like, it's still fun, but they mm-hmm. do high quality stuff. I was like, I don't want to, you know, the luxury thing for me didn't connect because I didn't want it to feel stuffy. So I liked that book. And then um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss is really good talking about negotiating. And um, I think negotiating and sales becomes, um, I know those sound like bad words, but I think when you come at them from a place of caring about the other person, they can be really, really valuable skills in your business as you raise your prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Great, uh, great questions. Um, yeah, keep, a couple more minutes if anybody has any other questions. Um, is there, um, I guess, anything we haven't covered that you think should be mentioned or any like resources or anything that you feel like you need to show or talk about? Yeah, let me look. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think... You know, coming back to checking all the different elements in your business, the value you're creating, the communication, branding, like don't kind of just get stuck on one thing. There's all these different parts of a business that you can tweak as you're raising prices. Um, And then I always go back to whether someone is spending a lot of money or a little bit of money, people are still people. And people in general all still want the same things, which is, you know, safety, connection, love and belonging, and to become the best version of themselves. So that doesn't change as you raise your prices, but it lets you lets you help clients to a higher level when you're charging a sustainable rate for yourself. Um, so I, I think raising your prices is like a selfless thing too because you are helping your client more by giving them more in that new system yeah yeah we every human has only so much energy any given day um time is is a non-renewable resource so yeah uh, working with fewer clients at higher pricing allows you to use those limited resources more effectively um, totally. which allows you to serve them better so that your clients are happier, you're happier because you're healthier. Um, so it just creates a really positive feedback loop um, all around. So um, I guess one last question for me is like, do you f- feel, do you feel like the middle is kind of eroding in terms of economy type stuff? Like, do you feel like either more, more and more people either need to go like an automated higher volume system or they need to move up to a higher end, lower volume system. Do you feel like there's less and less room in the middle or is just that's just where it's most crowded and getting on either side has helped better? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot and I don't have any specific data in front of me to be like, this is definitely what's happening. But it does yeah. feel like that, doesn't it? Because I, you right. know, one of the things I was going to say is kind of the higher up you move, in general, it's less populated. So you might think like, oh, if I charge more, I will have a harder time booking. But really, you have a lot less competition as you're raising your prices than if you are in that middle market where it's like, there's people that are really talented and a lot of people at a, you know, middle tier price range and a lot of people all look the same. So, you know, I think it's going to become more and more important that our businesses look different 
that we have something specific that we can point to that makes us different and um, not kind of trying to fight in that middle zone, um, but like charge what you need to charge, raise up your pricing. There will be less competition um, as you go up instead of, you know, trying to fight for that, fight for that client in the middle. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you, learn more about you? I know you've got the podcast, you've got like a, a lot of stuff, awesome stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at Kristen Sweeting and we have a podcast, the dangerous creatives podcast, but um, Instagram's probably the good like catch all and then things point out from there. So we help mm-hmm. people raise their pricing with like one-on-one coaching or group coaching. So happy to help if anyone needs that too, but yeah, would love to just hear from you. If you were here today, say hi. Awesome. Cool. Glad. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you, Melinda, for your comment. That's, that's nice. Thanks Melinda. Thank <laughs> All right. You. Well, there'll be a replay of this in the group in like 30 minutes. Um, but um, if anybody wants to rewatch or go back to certain sections and kind of hear certain things. So, but uh, yeah, have a good uh, Monday. Appreciate you. Bye. All right. Bye.